What up, Rinku Army? And welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows. And on this episode of the Square Circle Podcast, we will be going over the last two nights of New Japan Pro Wrestling's Road to Dantaku series. Again, I am at a loss for what night we are on. And just recently, since it's May 3rd over there in Japan, happy early Bullet Club Day, guys. It has been an amazing eight years and you guys will definitely get another happy Bullet Club Day tomorrow from me here in the States via Twitter. So if you guys are not following me on Twitter, make sure to go and at me at Marie underscore shadows to see that special video that I will dedicate to Bullet Club and all of its members except for the elite. Yeah. Anyway. I'm going to be talking about the Road to Dantaku series. This is the two shows that debuted on April 28th and 29th. Because on May 1st, they had another non-televised Road to Dantaku show. And again, you guys need to really step up the game. If I'm paying $9.99 for the New Japan Pro Wrestling World subscription... At least give me my worth of nine ninety nine, and that includes the non televised shows. All I want to do is just show the world why New Japan Pro Wrestling is at its best right now. And as you guys know, we're heading into the first two nights of Wrestling Dantaku of twenty twenty one. That's going to be May third and May fourth. If you guys have not checked out my preview podcast for those two nights, make sure to go in the backlog and take a listen to that. If you want, drop me a voice message via anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast, where you could definitely leave me your thoughts about this review, any past reviews or any opinions you want to share with me. You could also do that on Twitter at Marie underscore shadows, where I love to talk about wrestling 24 seven, seven days a week. It doesn't matter to me. You guys know wrestling is my super passion. So let's just jump into the first night of the road to Dantaku series on April 28th. These two road to Dantaku shows are also combined with Satsuma event as well. So we open up the show with tag team action. We have Gabriel Kidd teaming up with Tiger Max to take on Yuya and Suji. And in the previous podcast episodes, I praised Gabriel Kidd for getting two victories under his belt when he defeated both Yuya and Suji in different nights of the Road to Nantaku series. Those matches were definitely not televised, and I'm a little upset they weren't. But either way, Gabriel Kidd gets some praise from me. He's always going to get some praise from me as well as Yuya and Suji. I love that Gabriel Kidd has found a new aggression whenever he gets into the ring. He's still great technical wise and he could definitely hold his own. I'm waiting for that day where he can completely shine against some of the veterans in New Japan Pro Wrestling. You know, he had a very wonderful match against Zack Sabre Jr. in the New Japan Cup. Zack Sabre Jr. allowing Gabriel Kidd to go the distance with him, even though Zack Sabre Jr. is known to end most of his matches pretty early. So that's really about having such a high regard for someone like Gabriel Kidd. If Zack Sabre Jr. is going to give him that time of day to show the world why Gabriel Kidd belongs. And in every match that Gabriel Kidd has, he's definitely there showing the fans why he belongs in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He might be the humblest of talkers. Because his backstage promos are always filled with humbleness and that he loves to be there. But he knows that he still needs to train and get stronger and get better. And that's what he does every single time he comes into the ring. He learns from his mistakes. He learns from his losses. He picks himself back up and continues to train and continues to take it one day at a time to solidify his name, Gabriel Kidd, as a household name for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Suji and Yuya are in the same boat as Gabriel Kidd. All three of them have been fantastic on all the road twos and all the shows that the bookers are able to put them on. And Suji and Yuya are definitely growing into household names. Like 
Yuya is definitely the sassy one out of like the three of them. You have Suji, who's the baby face, who always looks adorable, but you know that he can eventually have a mean streak. I would definitely like to see him and Naito go at it. And obviously you have Gabriel Kidd, who's the most humblest out of the three, but he could definitely kick your ass and definitely tie you up in a pretzel. Like how Zack Zaber Jr. usually does to his opponents. As for Yuya, I need Yuya and Ren from New Japan Strong to form a team. And they could just be like brothers. Because that's how I usually see them as. You have sassy ass Yuya teaming up with Chop King Ren. And, you know, the story is just right itself. All right, back to this match. Suji was definitely working on Gabriel Kidd's back to the point of when Suji put the Boston Crab on Gabriel Kidd. And as much as Gabriel Kidd tried with all of his might to get to the bottom rope and get to have some type of break between the two, he ended up tapping to Suji from that. So in this match, we have Yuya and Suji winning via submission. All three young lions, Suji, Yuya, and Kid, are great to watch in the ring. And I really do enjoy watching their matches, whether it's tag team matches, single matches. And there's definitely a lot of frustration between the three. And I really do believe that they deserve more. And they are getting more. They're getting enough time to showcase what they have. But I think now it's time to really throw them into the deep end of the water and really test their skills and see how well they can float above everything. Not everyone is ready to be in that spotlight of guiding their own story, guiding the New Japan ship, and also guiding the management to have them believe that they're ready. I honestly think that these opening contests, is mainly tag, is really not helping the Young Lions at all. And there goes this frustration that each of them have. And I honestly think that they work better as singles competitors because at least then it'll be a nice one-on-one straight down the line winner. But also New Japan Pro Wrestling hasn't even tried to do a triple threat match with Gabriel Kid, Suji and Yuya, just because we can see more of their ability and their mindset when it comes to professional wrestling, because it's a triple threat. You have to be ready and thinking on your feet and making sure the other opponent doesn't come into the ring and try to break up a pin or try to break up a submission you may be forming partnerships with the unlikeliest of partners to take out someone else in a triple threat match there's a lot of factors to go into a triple threat match and i really do think that if the young lions were given the opportunity to have a triple threat match to open one of the new Japan shows, then it will definitely be a showcase to remember. And it will definitely put them on the map of maybe they're just about ready because if they can definitely put on a great show between the three of them, imagine when they really branch out and put on a show against the veterans, against the ones who have been there and have the years under their belt, whether that's new Japan pro wrestling out in the Indies, you know, anywhere else. I would also like to see some first time matchups like having Suji and Yuya teaming up to take on the Gorillas of Destiny, not for their championship titles, but just because the Gorillas of Destiny are the standard bearers for the tag team division. So why not just throw them in there and see how well Suji and Yuya can hang? Obviously, we know that if that is ever booked, Suji and Yuya won't get the victory over the Gorillas of Destiny, but it will be a learning experience. And my whole thing is that you put the young lions in very uncomfortable situations so that way they can learn from the experience and they can remember the experience. And then when they finally become veterans in their own right, in their own career, They know how to win matches. They know how to play the psychological game. They know how to pick apart their opponents. 
I honestly think that the young lions need to be put in these situations so that way that frustration that they have and you could definitely see it when you watch the backstage comments via YouTube that there's something there there's something missing they're not getting the full experience for what they should be getting and learning and involving into being the best damn wrestlers that New Japan has to offer. We're in this pandemic. No one could go on excursion to get that different experience like everyone else in the company did. So why not make an excursion-esque type of feel when it comes to New Japan Pro Wrestling and the opening matches. So why not make that Gabriel Kidd versus Suji versus Yuya as a triple threat as an opening contest for any of the next Road 2 series? Like, that would be a fresh matchup. The audience would definitely be into it. And most likely fans on the state side, such as myself, would definitely love to be their cheerleaders and watch the amazing match that they could put on with athleticism technical anything that they want to throw in there and let them be themselves rather than having the same young boy formula in the matches and winning via boston crab let them have fun let them showcase what they're capable of doing they didn't get into professional wrestling to do the same things over and over let Gabriel Kid, Suji, and Yuya wow everybody by giving them a triple threat match to open up a show. And that will let the whole world know how much faith you guys have in the Young Lion program, that it works, that it makes amazing wrestlers, and that it makes amazing thinkers in the ring who can tell a great story in the ring and lead New Japan Pro Wrestling to greater heights than before. Now we're going to be talking about the second match on this card, which is a six-man tag. I know you guys are tired of this, but this is a bit different. So hear me out. It's Doki teaming up with Zack Zabra Jr. and Tai Chi taking on Jado, Tama, and Loa. And the cool thing about this match that kept my attention, because finally we're doing something right. Finally, we're adding a new layer to this ongoing story of... Tamatanga and Tai Chi going after the Iron Fingers and Loa and Zack Sabre Jr. going after each other because Zack Sabre Jr. definitely wants another title shot against G.O.D. in a very desperate fashion, I should add. However, this match is usually the ones that I really don't want to really talk about or really get into it because nothing new has happened. But in the development of this story, something new did happen. Tama added a ladder into this match, causing a DQ, and that allowed Doki, Zack Sabre Jr., and Tai Chi to pick up the victory in this six-man tag. I wasn't even upset that Doki, Zack Sabre Jr., and Tai Chi picked up the victory via DQ. Seeing that ladder got me hyped and got me to really pay attention to what's going on, and... Tama, like I said, used the ladder. He used it against Doki. Doki did a tope suicida and that hit into the ladder looked very, very devastating. Then he uses the ladder against Zack Sabre Jr. and Tai Chi and basically beats them down. Loa is also in the ring beating down Zack Sabre Jr. Tama Tonga places the ladder in the middle of the ring, climbs it, sits on it, and this is where Loa gives his post-match comments. And again, he's reminding Zack Zaber Jr. that when come May 3rd at Wrestling Dontaku, if Zack Zaber Jr. can defeat Loa, Loa will gladly grant him the title shot opportunity that he so desperately wants to have against G.O.D. But like I said, and I keep saying in these podcast episodes, Zack Zaber Jr. is not going to get the victory over Tungaloa. I honestly don't want to see another Tai Chi and Zack Zaber Jr. versus the Gorillas of Destiny. I don't want to see that again. No matter how many different stipulations you want to put on that match, I really don't. And here's the reason why I don't want to see it. It's because I can already see that Zack Zaber Jr. put himself into his own box. 
into his own glass ceiling. Like, you guys know that I love technical wrestling more than anything else. Obviously, a wrestling match should have some technical wrestling in there. It could have some high flying. It could have some spots. And then you could weave in the psychology and the storytelling within it beautifully. So that way, the moves can make sense. Professional wrestling is the only sport in this world where it's complicated. And it's like watching a play, a movie and a real fight at the same time. There has been nothing really new from Zack Zabra Jr. Zack Zabra Jr. is still regarded as one of the best in the world. Again, I'm not taking anything away from him, but if he's not really going to evolve and do something different, have a different layer to Zack Zabra Jr., then what's the point? Why do you keep going after something that... You're not probably going to make a sighting if you're going to take the belts off of G.O.D. Like, let's play this out for a second. If Zack Zaber Jr. and Tai Chi take the belts off of G.O.D., what will be next? Who will be next? And how will Zack Zaber Jr. and Tai Chi carry the tag division? Now, you guys think that I'm probably biased by always wanting to have the Gorillas of Destiny winning, but there's always something new with Tama Tonga and Tonga Loa. That's why they're still the reigning IWGP heavyweight tag team champions. And that's why they're seven-time IWGP heavyweight tag team champions. There's something about them that clicks between having the belts, being part of Bullet Club, pushing their own narrative, and just being on top. And they can switch at any moment, at any time, for any situation that they get into, if they get backed into a corner, they're not going to be like, oh, crap, we got nothing up our sleeves. There's always something up G.O.D.'s sleeve and it's never the same thing. Taichi and Zack Zaber Jr. are the same thing. They're the same thing from the new beginning on February 13th of this year. And there has not really been anything new. Yeah, sure. After that night of losing to G.O.D., they decided to take a tiny break, go their separate ways. And this is where I really thought that maybe Zack Sabre Jr. needed to break out of being a tag team partner with Tai Chi. Sometimes if you're in a tag team for way too long and don't really add anything new, don't have any new substance, something where fans could get behind and be like, oh, this feels like a different tag team from three months ago. That was never there. And I really thought that Zack Zabra Jr. was going to break out on his own and do his own thing and take New Japan by storm. And he was given the chance to do that during the New Japan Cup. He really went far, but Osprey defeated him. And then he decided to go back with Tai Chi to revitalize his tag team and try to go for the tag team titles again. But during this whole entire Road to series while we have very of the same matches over and over, there was still nothing different except for this one time where Tama brought out the ladder. And then as I reviewed the next night, it's the same thing. They brought out ladders. So I might end up skipping the second match over. So both matches for the 28th and the 29th. Doki, Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi picks up the DQ because Tama used the ladder on the 28th and on the 29th it was a no contest but it felt so real on the 29th when Taichi and Tama Tonga decided to joust with ladders and you had everybody coming in and when I say everybody I mean the Young Lions plus Gato coming in to try to get them apart and get them to stop attacking each other and wait until May 3rd in their singles match even though it's a ladder match and it is a battle for the custody of Iron Fingers and yeah the second night was a little bit more hype for me to pay attention to this extra new layer and to see how personal it's getting it's personal for Tai Chi because those iron fingers were given to him as a gift from Izuka and they change Tai Chi's mannerisms as soon as he wears it and everyone gets hit with the iron fingers. And so this is where we're at. I want to see Tungaloa defeating Zack Zaber Jr. 
And I definitely want to see Tamatanga taking the iron fingers away from Tai Chi. New Japan Pro Wrestling put out an article saying that once the winner gets the iron fingers, the iron fingers would be retired. And Tamatanga is all like, nope, that ain't happening. So, you know, some shenanigans are going to happen when Tamatanga gets the iron fingers. And we'll see where that goes. Our next match is a six-man tag. It had Master Wado teaming up with Taguchi, teaming up with Tanahashi versus Gato, Taiji, and Yujiro. And the only reason why I want to bring up this match is to talk about the ending. So in the end, Tanahashi puts on the Texas Cloverleaf hold on Gato. And Gato proceeds to tap out, and that allows the team of Tana, Taguchi, and Masawato to pick up the victory. This whole entire tour has definitely been feeling a little bit empty without the one and only King Switch, Switchblade J White, to bring some fun into the Road 2 tours, only because sometimes the Road 2 tours can get a little bit repetitive and Jay White adds an ounce of fun to it, especially with him yelling at the referees, him doing Jay White things because no one could tell Jay White no and no one could definitely stop him. So as we get closer to wrestling Nantaku, it is going to be Jay White versus Tanahashi for the Never Open Weight Championship title. And here in the States, it is May 2nd. Tomorrow is May 3rd. And it's Bullet Club Day on May 3rd. So it makes sense for King Switch to take that Never Open Weight Championship title off of Tanahashi. Makes perfect sense. The leader of the Bullet Club having some gold around his waist, on his shoulder, and having a whole new line of competition for the Never Overweight Championship title. Because if you guys paid attention to the backstage comments from Tanahashi, Tanahashi does say that he feels miserable as a champion. And I'm not sure if that was a wrong translation from YouTube giving us the subtitles while Tanahashi is talking in Japanese. But that's exactly what popped up across my screen that he said that he's miserable as champion. And I'm not sure entirely why. And that was a little weird and a shock to sort of see. I do feel like ever since Tana got the championship title that he has been somewhat slow and just a little off. Tana still has some really good matches to watch and appreciate. But overall, I know that he only had a few defenses for his championship title. And he has this tradition to uphold that in order for him to wear it around his waist, he needs to fight the very best. And obviously, we all know that Jay White is one of the very best in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And let's not forget that Jay White is definitely... New Japan Pro Wrestling's number one asset. So it's great that now we get to have this match. Now I think that JY taking the belt off of Tanahashi can sort of have Tana alleviate some of the pressure he probably puts on himself to perform at the high caliber that New Japan is known for. And while I highly respect Tanahashi's career and respect everything that he's done, I think that he might need some time to relax and chill a little bit and work behind the scenes until he feels ready that he can definitely go in the ring against all these guys. It's kind of weird that Shingo is doing very well for himself and he's definitely showing up. Tanahashi and skill and speed and able to keep up with Osprey. So, you know, just think about that in that connection, in that regard, and the difference between the two. Other than that, I just wanted to bring up the fact that in this match of the six men, Tanahashi taps out Gato. This may be a prelude to when we get to wrestling Dantaku night one, but I don't think it does anything to jeopardize that Jay White is going to be losing. Jay White is not going to lose on Bullet Club Day 
that will make no sense. Bullet Club has to reign supreme on Bullet Club Day, right? That makes total sense. Anyway, as you guys know, Jay White is going to pick up that victory over Tanahashi. Our next match is LIJ, Bushi, Sonata, Naito, and Shingo taking on United Empire, Aaron Hanare, Jeff Cobb, Great Okan, and our IWGP heavyweight champion, Will Ospreay. LIJ and United Empire have this undeniable chemistry together, whether that is a full man team or four man, two man, six man action. However you do the combination, each of these guys have a good chemistry with one another. Osprey has definitely done a fantastic job of pushing the narrative of not only his self-worth and his ability to be the best wrestler. That is why he holds the IWGP Heavyweight Championship title, but also to push the narrative of the United Empire because it definitely feels like all members are united. And even though they have only four members on their team, they can still rival Bullet Club. And Bullet Club can always take a page out of United Empire's book to be united, to be cohesive, just as United Empire is. Because I do know that I see some comments online saying that, well, Bullet Club has X amount of members. That's why it doesn't feel like a cohesive unit, while United Empire only has four. And what I say to that is... Bullet Club could be as dominant and as unified as United Empire. It just takes somebody to really put their foot down and be like, look, we got to work as a team. This is what we're going to be doing in the matches. That's why whenever Jay is involved, there's this weird unity that happens anyway in the matches. And it feels like Bullet Club has come to destroy people. United Empire definitely feels like it has come to destroy people to make sure that they know that United Empire is serious about taking on all challengers and everyone in that regard. And that United Empire slowly wants to really hold New Japan Pro Wrestling in the palm of their hand and be the rock stars and be given the adulation that they deserve, even if they probably don't want our adulation but i'm definitely going to continue to praise them on this podcast anyway and the only reason why i compare bullet club to united empire is because one day i want bullet club versus the united empire that would be great i know i'm leaving out lij but I can't really talk about LIJ the same way that I can talk about United Empire and Bullet Club because I know those guys' history is a lot more than LIJ. So, you know, it's not a knock to LIJ if I'm not including them in this conversation of fantasy bookings and matchups. So far, between LIJ and United Empire, both teams have really held their own in this storyline of which is the better team, who's the better opponents if they go one-on-one, and everything else in between. I would like to say that Jeff Cobb is definitely underrated as a storyteller during his backstage comments. He may not produce long monologues or very in-depth promos, but the subtlety, the straight to the point, the more is less approach is very great to hear and to definitely see develop week after week for those backstage comments after the matches. And it helps to his character and it helps to United Empire overall. And sometimes I think wrestlers forget that the art of doing a promo is to tell a story of why you do the things that you do, the motivations that you do. And that's why New Japan succeeds in the promo area of professional wrestling, because they allow these guys to talk off the top of their heads. And we finally got some insight as to why during this whole Road 2 tour, it has been 
Jeff Cobb doing the tour of the islands to Bushi all the time. And that's because he was probably thinking of Ibushi. When Will Ospreay won the championship title from Ibushi, that is when Jeff Cobb decided to strike against Ibushi. And we didn't see Ibushi for a while. And Ibushi came back on the 29th to have a tag team match. I'll get to that match in a moment. But just to get back to praising Jeff Cobb and his promo ability, he is definitely underrated. He really does have good promos that are straight to the point and they are story filled. They're not like teasing. They're very story filled where you get it, where you get why he's doing what he's doing. So for that LIJ versus United Empire match on 428, Jeff Cobb picks up the victory for his team by doing the tour of the islands onto Bushi. You know, I should end the review right there on a very good note for the United Empire. But just for the record, the next match is Yano versus Evil in a creative blindfold match, whatever it's called, whatever the bots decided to choose because we all know Yano bought some bots in order to get the victory in that poll. So so I really have no comment about this. I'm waiting for the day that somebody really defeats Yano and stop with all the low blows and everything. But I know that that day is probably not going to come. And I usually defend evil. Like I was defending evil on the other road to tours of this month by saying that, see, he cares about Jay White and he cares about Bullet Club because whenever Tanahashi tried to do the Blade Runner on Gato, in comes evil to save that and save the important finisher that Jay White has and also to show his pride for Bullet Club. So for this match... It was just a total mess. It was so weird. So apparently, once you put the bag over someone's head, if they did not take the bag off within the 20 count, then the person will win the match. I don't know. I can't really defend it. I'm not going to defend it. It was just one of those wacky things that... We have in professional wrestling where sometimes you got to take a break from all the seriousness to have a really comedic match. And it was definitely comedic. Should Evil have been in that? No, but in the time and era that we're in currently, sometimes the guys you want to see thrust into the spotlight, sometimes they have to take a backseat and do other things and just be a company person until a spot opens up. I do know that a spot is going to open up for evil and we're going to probably get some good story going with evil and maybe Jay White, Osprey, you know, put everyone in together. But until then, we have to live knowing that evil lost to Yano in this weird ass blindfold of a match to not get the king of pro wrestling trophy and then the last match to end 428 is showing yo versus yoshinobu and el desperado for those iwgp junior heavyweight tag team championships showing yo took those tag team championships off of yoshinobu and el desperado and that team definitely wants it back from showing yo that was not the case Sho and Yo did strong X to their opponents and managed to pick up the victory. One, two, three. Sho and Yo are still our IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. Now, let me quickly jump into 429 of the Road to Dantaku series. For April 29th, the opening contest is a tag team match. We have Yuya teaming up with Suji to take on Bushi and Sonata of LIJ. And this was definitely a breath of fresh air to see. You have two young lions going against two veterans of the business. And it was a really great match to watch. Unfortunately, 
Yuya took the terrible move from Bushi, and Bushi managed to pick up the victory for himself and Sonata. What I would like to highlight of this match is that while Suji was taking most of the hit from Bushi and Sonata, Yuya would come in and break up the pin. That sassiness that Yuya has is definitely at the forefront. The trio of Yuya, Suji, and Gabriel Kidd are all coming out with these different personalities. And that's what I love to see. That's called growth. They are obviously frustrated in their position, not getting enough time to showcase what they have. And when they do have the time, they definitely make the most out of every single opportunity that is given to them. And that is how you grow as a professional wrestler and also as a person as well. On the same topic of the Young Lions, there were two untelevised Road to Dantaku series that had the Young Lions in action and they were competing in singles competition. Fortunately, I will not be able to review it and praise the Young Lions as I usually do on this podcast, but I would just let you know the outcomes of those matches. For April 30th, Gabriel Kidd picks up a victory over Suji with the double arm suplex. And then on May 1st, Yuya picks up the victory over Gabriel Kidd with a double overhook suplex. Getting back to 429 match card, the second match is again a six man tag match Doki, Zach Zabel Jr., Tai Chi against Jado, Loa, and Tama. I mentioned this a little bit earlier in the podcast that this was a no contest again because it was ladder jousting between Tama Tonga and Tai Chi. And again, we know the story. I'm not really going to tell the story again, but we do know that come May 3rd, Zack Zabel Jr. isn't winning and Tai Chi isn't winning and G.O.D. is going to need some new competition for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships. Our third match, which was the most interesting match on the card aside from the main event, the third match had Naito teaming up with Shingo to take on Great Okan and Osprey. Osprey and Shingo have been having the best feud I've seen in a very long time. Something that I can get behind, something that I can definitely talk about. And both of them want the same thing. Both of them want that championship title. Shingo came up second in the New Japan Cup. I was surprised that Shingo even made it to the finals of the New Japan Cup. And even I was surprised that Osprey was to make it to the finals of the New Japan Cup because obviously you guys know that I wanted Jay White as the winner of the New Japan Cup. And imagine if he would have fought Kota Ibushi again. His destiny would have been aligned. But unfortunately, that's not how things work. There's always obstacles for these guys to overcome. And Jay needs to right that wrong against David Finley. So let's not take anything away from Shingo and Osprey because Shingo and Osprey right now are carrying New Japan Pro Wrestling and their chemistry in the ring is unlike anything I've ever seen. Osprey is definitely a lot more mature since him being a young Osprey back in the day and Shingo has definitely impressed me and definitely made a huge impression on me and cheer for Shingo but at the same time you want to see how far and how well Will Ospreay can definitely take that championship further and what other stories he can create with other guys so that's why I'm leaning more towards Will Ospreay retaining his IWGP heavyweight championship title on May 4th of Wrestling Dantaku Night 2 because I want to see those matchups, because I want to see those stories, because I want to see how well he works with other people to bring about the very best in themselves and also himself too when we get down to having wonderful matches. And I think that's what he's been doing this whole entire feud. Him and Shingo have been bringing out the best in each other in terms of in-ring ability and definitely promo-wise. Shingo has a very good hand on his promos and they are very interesting to just read the subtitles, the translations behind them. And Osprey has a way with words 
And he has a different thought pattern than most people when they do their promos. But you understand that Osprey is a type of guy that will tell you things to your face. He wears his heart on his sleeve. He's not going to pussyfoot around anything like he feels the type of guy that would just tell you straight up whether you want to hear it or not. It's a little bit of a different approach than when Jay does it because Jay does the same thing. Jay says whatever the hell he wants and he's definitely so truthful that, you know, you could get behind it. I like people who tell me the truth, who want me to grow better and do better. And if you're going to have to tell me the truth, whether I like it or not, you know, we could probably be friends. So I could probably be friends with these two just because they both tell the truth and they get me hyped behind why I should cheer for them, why they make the best champions and make me believe because they believe in their characters and they believe in what they're saying and they believe that they are the best champion in the world. So it's like a two-way street. I am there to be entertained and to be roped into this beautiful story of who could one up who and if Shingo can definitely get the upset victory on Osprey, what happens to Will Osprey's psyche after that? Will Osprey has worked so hard his whole entire career. He has proved all the naysayers wrong. And then all of a sudden, Shingo hits the last of the dragon on Will Osprey because maybe Will Osprey tripped up and got caught in it. And then loses. How will his psyche deal with the fact that he will no longer be IWGP heavyweight champion on May 4th? As much as I want Osprey to retain, that's also a possibility that can happen. And see, this is why when you get to the very best in the business to have this sort of feud and keep going back and forth with each other and definitely in this third match where Jingo picked up the victory over Great Okan by doing the last of the dragon finisher on him. And you saw during this whole entire Road 2 tour that they protected Shingo very well. They did not allow Osprey to get a victory over Shingo. Shingo did not get a victory over Osprey in any of their matches. So both guys were definitely protected. But this time around on the 29th, as we get closer to wrestling Dantaku, things have to change. Layers have to be added into this creative storytelling where Shingo hit the last of the dragon on Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay did not see it coming. Will Ospreay did not anticipate it. And so, bam, Shingo hit it. And that says a lot. Shingo picked up the IWGP Heavyweight Championship title and teased at the fact that maybe on the 4th, Shingo could pick up that victory. That is why I asked those questions earlier. If it comes true that Shingo picks up the victory over Will Ospreay, after all this entire building, what will happen to Will Ospreay's psyche? What will happen to the United Empire? Because right now, Will Ospreay is in full cocky mode. I don't know if him losing the championship title will humble him because I don't really see that as a thing happening, but it could happen. And these are the type of stories that get me hyped and want to talk about it and want to speculate it because there's many different ways it can go. But right now, that tag match was very great to watch. And Shingo is definitely a top contender for anything that he does in professional wrestling. And come May 4th for Wrestling Don Taco Night 2, I am going to stick with my prediction that Will Ospreay is going to retain that IWGP Heavyweight Championship title. And then we're going to move on to Grand Slam and Will Ospreay is going to remain IWGP Heavyweight Champion when he goes against Okada as well. So don't forget about Okada coming up in Grand Slam. As for this match for the 29th, this match was definitely a must watch for the story. Now we come to the main event of 429, which is a tag team match. Tanahashi is teaming up with Ibushi to take on Jeff Cobb and Aaron Hanare. And this match was really great to see. 
Ibushi coming back and wrestling was fun to watch him. And you can tell there was something different about Ibushi. There was something a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more Ibushi-like. And even Tanahashi noticed it too. In this match, both Jeff Cobb and Hinari were taking advantage of Tanahashi cutting the ring in half. And then eventually Ibushi will come in and get in some offense against these guys. And then... Towards the end, which was really unnecessary, just because I'm a Hanari fan, it was so unnecessary. Both Ibushi and Tanahashi teamed up to really give some kicks and some power moves to Hanare. And Hinari took the Kamigore from Ibushi and that allowed Ibushi to pick up the victory for his team of himself and Tanahashi. Poor Hinari. Why they had to do that to him? Jeff Cobb was nowhere near to save Hinari from that. However, Ibushi feeling like his old self again, feeling like he wants to wrestle again and that's all he wants to do. He challenged Jeff Cobb to a match where Ibushi is like, I want to start facing wrestlers and I want to start facing Olympians. So why not? Jeff Cobb accepted the match. And then this is where I say that Jeff Cobb is underrated in his promos. In his backstage comments, he basically said that that is what he wanted. And that, you know, during the times of him pinning Bushi, it would be wrong to not say that he probably did it because he was waiting for the day that Ibushi came back and the day that he gets to challenge Ibushi one-on-one in singles competition. So Jeff Cobb's storytelling ability is definitely top-notch, definitely really great to listen to and notice the details that he gives you because those details are very substantial. Those details are very filled with great storytelling elements not all wrestlers can deliver that and now i want to talk about aaron hinare's backstage comments he has grown very quickly since talking about him on this podcast and i am really proud to say that he has done a wonderful job in creating this character and feeling more comfortable in the direction of his character because I could definitely see it. All the improvements are there. His promos are getting better. There's a lot more story in Hinari's promos. And subconsciously, when I listened to this promo, right before I talked about the whole AEW Impact and New Japan partnership, and I called the podcast episode Drunk With Power... And I also mentioned how in there that Kenny Omega and the elite are drunk with power and all this, you know, that was inspired by Hinare mentioning in his backstage comments that Tanahashi is a drunkard, but not for alcohol, drugs or anything, but for the admiration of the fans. And that tidbit plays into almost everything that is done in professional wrestling. Sometimes you showcase your love for the fans and it gets well received. And half the time when you try to do it, the fans are like, I'm not catching on to this until you turn heel. And then they're like, oh, shit, this is something new. Let me jump on the bandwagon now. So it's a hit or miss. But just the fact that Hinari had to say that line in his backstage comments. Oh, yeah, I could definitely tell that his mindset grew and his direction of his character and the way he wants to deliver the promos on his own accord. Everything is growing and everything is working out very wonderfully. And I'm not just saying those things just to say it. There's an obvious growth with Hinare. And I'm really glad to follow it and to let all you guys know exactly where that growth is. And it's definitely in his promos and it's definitely him being more comfortable to be out there in the ring and to do things on his own and also to be the man that he wants to be in the ring because that's all it is sometimes the professional wrestling wrestlers are given the weirdest of characters and they have to make do and make sure that they believe it and so when they put it out into the world the world has to believe it but sometimes it doesn't come off that way 
Hanare going in the direction of being the ultimate weapon for United Empire works well with his past integrated into the creative side of professional wrestling and you could just tell he's at ease at what he's doing everything that he does in the ring incorporating the mixed martial arts and the muay thai is really great like i said in the previous podcast episodes he does this heel hook that makes me pop every time and i'm not sure if it's like the spin but to me the spin makes it look a little bit more different than whenever like suzuki does it and i'm like oh this is it oh there's a slight difference you know when hinari does it he has that spin and i'm like oh that looks cool but other than that the way that he torques on the heel also makes it look like it's devastating and actually hurts like you believe that if you got into the ring with hinari you're definitely going to come out sore and battered. You know, you'll walk away. But other than that, you'll know not to like fuck with him again. So that's where his comfortableness comes in. And that's what I appreciate from wrestlers when they want to be able to grow, when they want to take the opportunity to change how they're perceived by fans and just do things on their own time and do things their own way. The moment that you start doing the things that you want to do in your way, the easier the fans will be accepting of you sometimes because fans are fickle. But in most cases, fans would definitely be there to support you and be your biggest cheerleader. I am the biggest cheerleader of those that want to succeed and I can see that they want to succeed and that they love this business with all their heart. And this is why I have these podcast episodes because wrestling is everything to me and I can definitely break this down to you guys and what's working and not working and how to fix it and how to elevate yourself if you can't really think outside the box. This is why sometimes having someone like myself who's on the outside looking in can definitely help with, hey, have you ever tried this or have you ever tried that? You know, it's up to you whether you want to listen to these podcast episodes and gain a different perspective and a value for professional wrestling because professional wrestling ain't dying just yet. I'm going to make sure of that. Anyway, I have talked long enough about New Japan Pro Wrestling to combine two shows into one. So this is going to be a little bit over the normal time. Just bear with me. I wanted to get these two out right before Bullet Club Day. But then again, I am very proud of everything that New Japan Pro Wrestling puts out and even the level of competition and stories that the New Japan wrestlers do every single day in the ring. So thank you guys for that. And I would love it if you showed this podcast episode some love. Here are some easy ways for you guys to do that. You guys can listen to this podcast episode over at anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast. You guys can also join up on the website, which is live with wrestling, gaming and writing content. Head over to www.ravagelands.com. And if you want to take it a step further, head over to Twitter where you could talk to me about wrestling 24 seven. And guess what? Twitter has now given me Twitter spaces. So look out for some spaces where we get to talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I even invite the wrestlers that I talk about on this podcast episode and others to join in those Twitter spaces just to say hi. If you guys want to head over to Twitter at me at Marie underscore shadows, where we could definitely do that with no problem. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to an episode of the square circle podcast. I am your host, Marie shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.